0: The life of God, the Word is alive, the Word is God, it's truth, it is, it is Him, and so we're going to take that in this morning. We are expecting increase in all of our hearts. We're, we're expecting Holy Ghost to go past whatever I say so that you will hear what He says. I can hardly tell you, and it's always so interesting to me, when people come to me or, or testify and say, just like Pastor said last week... And then they'll say what I said. And I'm telling you, I never heard it before in my life. I, I, heard, I hear them say what I said and I'm going, that's interesting. I've never thought of that before. And it's just it's just funny how the Lord just gets it there. He just gets it there. Well, who cares how he gets it there? So we do care. So turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of John. The book of John. Let's go to chapter 10. Let's always talk about why we're here. Let's not get the reason that you're here this morning and the reason that we have this thing where, where I or someone else stands up in front of you and flips pages in the Bible and looks at their notes and considers what to say and that we hear it, we say amen, and then we go to the house. What is that all about? Uh, why do we do that? Well, you could get off the subject and say, well, let's do this and let's do that. So you can start getting into carnal things, because after all, just somebody stands up there. It could be silly. It could be unspiritual. It could be stories. It could be unbelief. So we always have to go back and say, why are we doing what we're doing? Uh, we're, we're preaching and teaching the word because Jesus did. It says that he, he preached, he taught And he did signs and wonders. He did miracles. Those are the three things that he did wherever he was with people. He preached. He taught. He did miracles. So that's what we expect. The Bible says signs and wonders will follow them that believe. So uh, that's what we expect is after we believe to expect it. So in Acts 26, don't go there, but in Acts 26, 28, you'll remember that uh, there was a Roman man there uh, a man in authority who had Paul in, in a prison and Paul's talking to him and uh, he preached to him the word and, and then this uh, I wish I'd have looked up who it was I think it's Festus he said thou almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian thou almost almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian So what we're doing this morning is persuading. And y'all know how that works. You'll be working on whether you want to buy a new car or a tire or whatever decisions that we all make that we mull over. And we consider. And then one day, like Rebecca was saying, one day we just decide, let's go get a tire. You were almost persuaded, almost persuaded. Then one day you clicked over and said, this is what I'm going to do. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We do this with everything in our life. Unless it's lunch, which we don't even consider, we're already persuaded to eat lunch. At our house, we always are persuaded. There's no debate. There's no persuasion going on, obviously. So you may hear things over and over and over and go, yeah, 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 I got that. And we, we log it in or not. And then one day, one day, just unrelated, but just one day, we click over. We say yes to it. We are persuaded and we change our mind. That's how we all got where we are right now. First time the tithe was taught to you, you were not persuaded. Or the second or the 63rd or could be no matter what. But then one day, one day, seemingly unrelated to what was going on in your money and whatever, one day you just said, that's what I'm going to do. And that's how the system works, is that we're working stuff out of unbelief, of little, of thinking little in a little place, and working stuff in, that God is enough. Greater is he that is in me. He always causes me to win. We're we're in transaction mode all the time. So that's what we're doing this morning. That's what you do when you read your Bible. I hope all of y'all are going through the Bible with us. It's not the whole Bible, but I hope you're going through the scriptures with us. It's all the New Testament. The uh, Gospels are split up into uh, you. You read one Gospel every quarter. And then we read Genesis. We read Proverbs and we read some of the Psalms chinking in the best the best Psalms. I I assume that the Lord has got those lined up so they mean something to you on that day. That the day you read something in Matthew or in Thessalonians or whatever, it's like, golly, that just happens to work with what I'm doing today or what I did yesterday. I'm assuming the Lord has that kind of power and we're letting him be influenced in our life. So uh, we're almost persuaded all the time about something. And that's what I want to minister this morning. I'm going to talk to you about living an extraordinary life in an ordinary world. Because it's not enough to be on the edge. You could say I'm on the edge of breakthrough for 30 years and never breakthrough. Why? Because you're on the edge. Until you get off the edge and get in breakthrough, you're just on the edge. And it doesn't matter if you're on the edge or 40 miles out. If you're not in breakthrough, you're not in breakthrough. Are we right? Amen. So I looked up the word ordinary to live an extraordinary life in an ordinary world. And the word ordinary means just what you'd think. It means of no special quality. Yeah, of no special quality. It means ordinary. Obviously, it means common. It means plain. And then it means undistinguished. So you could say it means regular all day long, just regular, ordinary, common, no special anything, doesn't take our attention. It's just what we expected to see. It's what we saw and we moved on to go see some more. But the word extraordinary means beyond, beyond the usual, beyond the regular, beyond the established, beyond, say beyond beyond so it does gather our attention because it sticks out from the ordinary from the common almost everything is common so the extraordinary stands out we see it because there's not much of it to see that's why we go to the Grand Canyon because it's extraordinary y'all do want to go to the Grand Canyon don't you it's extraordinary say I've seen pictures of it well that's what I said until I went and I said, I ain't seen nothing like this. It was amazing. So it was extraordinary. It means to be remarkable. Extraordinary means to be remarkable. Remarkable. Which is, is worthy. Remarkable. It stands out. It means to be exceptional in character. So you could be an extraordinary man, an extraordinary woman. And you would be exceptional in character. It means to be extra- exceptional in amount. It was extraordinary. What do you mean? Well, it was exceptional in the amount. It means to be exceptional in the degree. It means to be noteworthy, worth remembering, worth noting, worth logging in. Festus says, thou almost persuadest me to believe. So we are tempted as people. This is my intro, but we're, we're tempted as people in the a Christian approach, into the Word of God, to say, let's have an upgrade. And we would all say the gospel had been an upgrade to our life. Even though you haven't been to heaven yet, you know or you expect that it's going to be an upgrade to, to down here. If it's not, we're going to be greatly disappointed. But it isn't. It's, a, it's extraordinary. But even in our life, like our finances, our money, our supply, our Funding I would say of my own life. I would testify that I've my finances are extraordinary Compared to what they used to be which was ordinary I would say in my body in my health in my Emotional realm that what was ordinary common the doctor could look you up in the book and say yeah Well, here you are you're right in the book just like everybody else You could say well that was ordinary. It was common. It was expected but I would say that my life, having been with the gospel, been with the word, is extraordinary. Not as extraordinary as it's going to be, but for who I am and where I've been, it's way better. And therein is the challenge. Is that we could expect, and, and nothing's going to come into your life more than you expect. Let me just let's reiterate that. What you meditate on, what you think about, what you expect is what's coming. So if you're thinking little because you're in a little place, then guess what's coming? Little. It may be a better brand of little. It may be a higher class little, but it's still going to be in the ordinary realm. Our temptation is to say the gospel or the kingdom or the word or what Jesus has done is a better of what I've had, a better of who I was, a better of how it is. But I'm telling you, the word says of itself, he's taken us out of this whole realm of better and put us in a peculiar and particular and extraordinary realm that has nothing to do with other people's life. You got to expect that or you'll never have that. And that's what we do around here all the time is put the mark up there. Put the mark out there. Get it off of, well, let's just see if we can get through and see if it'll be as good or maybe it'll even be better. Well, I just want to testify that life is a little better. Well, that's great, but that's not where we're going. We're not satisfied with better. We're satisfied with extraordinary. Extraordinary. What does it say there? Beyond the usual, the regular, the established. That's the kingdom that we are in. We're not just people that go to church and have a cross up front and bringing in the sheaves and pass the offering plate and greet everybody. And isn't Jesus wonderful that that may be part of it, but that's not who we are. We are extraordinary. So like we just talked about being a sower, you can sow without being a sower and you can have better without being extraordinary. And you could completely, listen, miss the mark. Completely miss the mark. Ah, it's better. It's just so much better. I used to have trouble. I used to be sad. I used to have this and that and it's just so much better. Well, glory, hallelujah. But that's not all of it. We're still on the road or on the way, on the highway to extraordinary. So we're going to be pulling on that very thing for the next week or six, five, two, whatever. May finish this morning about living an extraordinary life in an ordinary world. Because I'm telling you, there's people out there that don't know Jesus that have more money stacked up than you've ever seen a building. You've never seen a building as big as what they got their money stacked up in. And they're, they're extraordinary in that realm, but we don't even go. That, that's not even in our realm. That's just a better or a further out realm of ordinary. It's common. There's a lot of rich people that don't know anything. So in John ten ten, 10, it says, Verily I say unto you, excuse me, verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, he's telling us what life's about there. The Lord Jesus is is painting life. In in John chapter 17, he said, uh, in the world, you'll have tribulation. He's telling you how the world is. He doesn't say, well, now that you're a Christian, you won't have any troubles because I'll just take care of all that. That's not how it works. He said he delivered them out of them all. When you have trouble, he delivers you out of them all. But you're in the world, even though we're not of it, we are in it and the world has trouble. So he's painting the world. He says the thief, the devil, Satan. It's in the context of the first part of the chapter. He says the thief, the devil, the Satan, the the enemy of your soul comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And so the world says get used to it. Do the best you can. Be the best ordinary in that world that you can But the Lord then turns and says, but I have a whole nother realm. You'll still have to live your physical life in this world, but it won't be anything like everybody else that's in this world that's common, ordinary standard. He said then, he said, I am come that they might have life. The word life there, as you know, is the word zoe in the Greek. And the word literally means life as God lives it. So the Lord did not come to forgive us of our sins. He came to give us life. But to give us life, he had to forgive us of our sins. It is part of the process, but it wasn't the destination. Because lots of people get their sins forgiven and have very common, ordinary, or even bad lives. And yet Jesus came to forgive them of their sins, and they don't even know who he is. He said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, or you could say extraordinarily. So extraordinary means beyond the usual, the regular, the established. It means remarkable. It means exceptional in character, amount and degree. It means noteworthy. He said, I've come to give you a noteworthy life and a noteworthy life is recognized by the common. By the ordinary, yeah. they will see you and say, I don't know how much money he's got and I don't know what where he gets this and what he does that. But that man, I want to be like him. I want what they've got or some degree or dimension of that. I want the confidence. I want the, the boldness. I want the, the 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 peace that they have people from in my life personally, as in yours for for the last 50 years. People that come into my home, my personal abode, if they say anything about it at all to us or to someone else, they will always say there was so much peace in that house. There's a presence in that house. Well, that's not ordinary, is it? That's why I don't go visit people. Don't ever wonder if I'm going to just show up your door. That's what preachers used to do. Show up your door. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Surprise. It's me, it's me, it's Michael B. <laughs> oh, no, I, I don't want to walk into a cat fight. I don't want to walk into your laundry all over the house and yesterday's dishes. I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I, I, I will not come to your house unless you call me because you might then find out that your life is ordinary and you're trying to portray it as something else. Uh, Jesus came and said, he he made a contrast here. He said, there's there's ordinary and there's extraordinary, and you cannot have an extraordinary life without being born again, without having a savior. That's what he was saying. I mean, there's a lot there to to read, but he was saying the world without me is ordinary in every way, no matter how gifted and rich and and, uh, uh, big corporation or whatever they've got he said, they are ordinary. Those are all over. Y'all know now there's, there's 200 and something billionaires, 300. They're stacked up everywhere. At one time there was 16 or 20 or something, but now they're, they're, they're not even like, wow, a billionaire. It's no big deal. Besides that, you can only buy so many fancy pairs of underwear and socks no matter how much money you have because you only got two feet and on and on hallelujah when you're born again when you have a savior you can forgive that's extraordinary y'all know how many mean people there are out there how many mad people there are how many people that are eaten up with unforgiveness you go well that's because they had a situation No, we've all had a situation We've all been in front of people and with people that made us madder than thunder. Uh, murder was the word that comes to you at some point in your, in your conversation. But we forgive them. If we don't, the Holy Ghost starts moving on us, doesn't he? And saying, you've got to deal with this. You're on the verge of having an ordinary life. You're on the verge of moving out of extraordinary to carnal, to natural, to common, to everyday. We, uh, we give. They cannot figure. Matter of fact, I was going to read this Wednesday. I'll read it now. It just happened to come up. Uh, 88% of members of Congress, Congress identify as Christian compared with only 63% of U.S. adults. Congress pretends to be more Christian than society. I mean, we're griping at them all the time and they're a bunch of crooks and heathens and idiots. And I'm not saying that's not true in a lot of cases, but 57% of Congresspersons identify as Protestant, 28 is Catholic, that are both higher than the at national rates. 6% identify as Jewish compared with 2% in the overall population. That's enough of that. So actually, Congress is more extraordinary than the national population. It ought not to be. But it does tell you that Christians aspire to have more and do more and be more to be extraordinary. Access is not permission. Say it with me. Access is not permission. So just because you can do something... Doesn't mean that you should. Doesn't mean that you, that it's good. It just means that nobody's stopping you. If uh, we use the example, and I can do that here because we don't do this, but a singer that gets up and says, I'm going to sing you a special about Jesus, and they're just they're like a bird and it's wonderful, but then they're going up here and saying, look, I've got the microphone, and I've got all these people in front of me, and I've been wanting to saw a board. I've been wanting to talk about something that's, and so they just start talking access is not permission well that's where the amen would have gone what, what else do I need to say about that hallelujah Matthew chapter 11 let's go to Matthew chapter 11 you wouldn't know it how much I'm hurrying right now but I'm, I'm in I'm in full run Matthew chapter 11, let's look in the last part of it, verse 28. I know this is all basic. I know this. Is, we're, we're not here pretending to have some revelation. But until each one of us are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we have to keep shining the light. We're not, we're not here about the deep, deep revelation. What well, did you know about the people that lived before Adam was created? Did you know about the giants in Genesis chapter 6? Did you know about this and that? We're, we're not here about that. We're here just to get it where we live like Jesus, that we live according to a standard. He said of himself, he, he said, he said, just because you can live at a level doesn't mean that he gives us permission. Uh, it says in verse 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he's talking about the new birth there, but then he's also talking about regular life. Then he said, take my yoke upon you. Everybody in that day knew what a yoke was. A yoke was something that put two animals together to pull a common burden like a plow or a wagon or something uh, so that uh, they would they would be yoked together. They would be in agreement. Uh, The word is union union. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Get in union with me. Get in agreement with me. Cooperate with me. Cooperate with me. It doesn't take anything away from you. But if you'll cooperate with me, it'll be better for both of us. He said, for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest in your souls. It'll be easier to live yoked with me. A yoke is something that is seen as a bondage. It's something that limits. It's like being handcuffed. How can that be better? He said, if you yoke with me, it'll be easier for you. And then he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody wants to get free, free of the man, free of, you know, I don't want to get married because men are all pigs. And I don't want to get married because women are all whatever they say they are, whatever. They all have a bias about it. Everybody's got an opinion about their experience. And so people look at Christians and say, I don't want to be one of them because... And they'll start telling you the story about some preacher, some pastor, some deacon, some elder, some trustee, some just Christian that cheated them. That, and it's like, I don't want to be one because of them. But we're supposed to be yoked with Jesus, not with all those people. Amen. And the truth is, is we've all disappointed somebody. Maybe you don't know just how much or maybe you thought it was no big deal. Get over it. But it hurt their feelings and it left an impression that we're not supposed to leave. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's where we're all going. Everything in us that's not yoked with Jesus is an enemy is a burr under our saddle, is a hindrance to our life. Everything that's not in agreement. He said, submit thou, James said, submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Submit, you can resist. Be yoked, and you will be free. The freer you are, the more yoked you are the more obedient you are the more agreeable you are the more the less of you there is and the more of him there is it's pretty cool turn with me to first peter chapter 1 let's see if I can get this off the ground first peter just because you can live outside of his yoke does not mean that you should we're in the day of grace Praise God for grace. But the downside to grace, if you can say there is one, is that people apply the the uh, the worldly axiom that when you mess up, you get whacked. And so they think that if they're not getting whacked, that they're not messing up, that if they. If they're not going to church or not reading the word or they're living apart from Jesus and no, and nothing's happening from heaven, no lightning, no whatever, they think, well, then then I must have permission. No, you just have access to the world, but doesn't mean you should live like the world. Well, who's going to tell you? He did. He did. Well, I'd rather him speak it to me so I'd know it was really him. Well, you're not living by faith. You're living by sight and you need you need a master over you. You need a mommy over you to tell you don't do that again or I'm going to take you to the corner or whatever. You need that. You need punishment. But he said it's the goodness of God that leads people to change. That's totally a that's a total difference from the world, isn't it? Which means if you mess up, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to give you a spanking or I'm going to, whatever. We're, we're used to that. Matter of fact, we like that. We like to know where the line is because we always want to live just barely on this side of the line instead of saying, I want to live totally for Jesus. I don't, even, I don't even care if there is a line. I'm going to live for, for the Lord and I'll never get close to the line. The world wants to live on the line. How much, how much fun... Uh, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What is the line? It's like, oh, if you have to ask for that, you're probably no, you're probably not over the line. First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen. Okay, we're going to get going here. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation. Conversation is a King James word that means lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers in other words you were raised in this so that's what you do what were we redeemed from with but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot the passion says for you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation it was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb, was sacrificed for us. So access is not permission. We're not even wanting to know what we can do, get away with. We can't get away with anything. Our conscience, our spirit man that's been redeemed, bought with the blood of Jesus, tells on us and says, I don't like to live like this. I don't like what we're doing. But we fight it and subdue it and put it down and go on. But then it happens again and we don't like it again. 1 Corinthians seven twenty three says, ye are bought with a price. Let's say it together. I am bought with a price. Now that's the truth. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. How's that work? Well, you were bought with a price. You're not, you are not your own. So access is not permission. You're bought with a price. You don't have access. You don't have access. I don't have access. I don't have access to do whatever I want. I mean, I don't have permission. Excuse me. I have access. I can, I can tear it up. Y'all, we could tear it up. We know how to sin as good as anybody. We all came from that, and it wouldn't be that hard to go back into it in the sense of methodology. You just you light the end of it, you put it in your mouth, and you draw, you suck, you, you pull, and that's how you smoke. You take the lid off the bottle, you chug it, and that's how you drink. And then there's all various things around that. We know how it works, but we don't want that because we're bought with a price. We're in the yoke. We don't like, we don't like steal, kill, and destroy. I don't like it. It's pretty good in the moment, but after that, it's terrible. So we have a life of choices. Always choosing between the flesh and the spirit. I think we're getting better at it, do y'all? We're getting better at it because that's what we want. And you're always going to chase after whatever you want. But it always costs us to get back. Sin costs us. It's free from heaven. But it always costs you. If you get a DUI, it's like, I'm so sorry I did that. I won't do it again, Lord. But there you are in the pokey with the DUI. It's like, ah, oh, I thought the Lord redeemed me. He did. You're free. You're free. But you do have 90 days to serve <laughs> in your liberty. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, I'm going there. I'm, I got to get giddy up here. Luke chapter 14. We're talking about living an extraordinary life. We're not talking about quit sinning and do better and do right and don't do that. We're talking about stepping into the life that he purchased for us. I have come that you might have life. I want whatever that is. There's not long, much longer, I don't think, anyway, on earth. At, at 70, I, I'm probably down to 40 more years, you reckon? <laughs> Just naturally speaking, people that want to live 120, pay no attention to them. Pay no attention to people who say they want to live 120, Brother Copeland. We, don't wanna, we, don't wanna, we just don't want to put up with you that long. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. The word says, uh, for which of you intending to build a tower, this is just wisdom, sitteth not down first. First, first, before you build the tower, sit down first, count the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it. He said, get a budget and see if your 100,000 is going to build a $200,000 building. He said, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, saying, we thought you were a Christian. We thought you were wise. We thought you had common sense. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king? Sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet he that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. Here it is then, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So he's talking about putting value in your life, about being extraordinary. If you're extraordinary, you can't act ordinary. There's a cost. You sit down, I got 10,000 men and, and, and uh, Leroy's coming over the hill with 20. Let, let's think about this. I got $100,000 to build this $200,000 building. Let's think about this. And then in the same vein, he says, oh, you want to be with me? You want to have the extraordinary life? Sit down and think about what the cost is. What is the cost? He said uh, in the message, he said, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, listen, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you cannot be my disciple. Oh my goodness, what a cost. Plans or people. He said, kiss it goodbye. I don't know if that's really true, the message translation, but that's what the message translates. kiss it goodbye. You're not going to be extraordinary. And what a disappointment it'd be to pay a half cost, a three-quarter cost, but not pay all the cost and fall short of being extraordinary. Being a high-grade ordinary, oh, he's, he's, he's for ordinary, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. But he's still ordinary. He's still regular. He's still common. He's just one of us. He just, you know, he got an inheritance. So he, he, he fell into this and got into that. But he's still ordinary. The Lord's not pleased, and we being yoked with him are not pleased short of an extraordinary life. And what does he say it takes? Uh, he said, uh, uh, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Do I have the right people in here? Can y'all handle this? So he's really saying, if you're not a disciple of the Lord Jesus, if he said, if you're not my disciple, you're actually a student of the world. You're, you're a high-grade ordinary, but you're still the world. Ordinary is the world. And see, the church gets real caught up into that. Better than it's ever been. Praise the Lord. Better than it's ever been. It's good. It's good. Got troubles. Got issues. Got challenges. Got people in my life. Got, got things that aren't working out, but it's still better than it ever was. And it's and it's like I've arrived. It's better than it ever was. And that's not arriving. And so we're kind of dissecting here. We're kind of flaying the fish. Hallelujah. And trying not to get any bones in there. So, you know, he's saying you've got to want what he wants for the same reason he wants it and be willing to receive it the same way he gives it. Oh, that's that last part's a tough one. You've got to want what he wants for the same reason he wants it and receive it the same way he gives it. And so last week we talked about woman preachers. Some men, especially men, but other women as well, at least used to be, and still so, they don't like to hear the word of God, the 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 blessed word of God, if it comes out of a female vocal cord. They're like, I'm not listening to that. That's junk, mess. That's trash. That's unworthy. That's not what I'm listening to. You're ordinary. Is that right? So extraordinary would say, I'll take it any way it comes. I'll take it with whoever it comes. Men don't like to receive from their wives. The word even says it's, it's a tough row for them to hoe uh, to receive from their wives. It says, you know, about the best that a wife can do uh, with her husband is to just be sweet and chaste and reverent and, and worthy that something could come through her. But men are weird. We're weird. We're just weird as can be about these things. And I, you know, there's reasons, I guess, that the Lord made them that way. But, but to be extraordinary, you're not that way. You're like, I got a deal, Lord. I'm going to go to home to my wife and see what she thinks about it. That's extraordinary. That's if I if you told that in a group of men, they'd all just sit there and look at you. Luke chapter 18. You're right there. Slip over to Luke chapter 18. So if I want prosperity the way the Lord wants me to have prosperity, I'm going to have to take it the way he sends it. Oh, my. If I'm going to have healing in my body, if I'm going to have position in my life, I'm going to have to take it. I'm going to want it the way he wants it. At the time that he wants it and the way that he sends it. That's extraordinary. Now, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, well, can you get by without that? Sure you can. You can be a high grade of ordinary everywhere all day, and they'll all look at you and say, that's a good, that's a good ordinary. That woman is good, good. But extraordinary is a whole nother. Luke chapter 18, verse 17. It says, Jesus answered saying, no, excuse me, 18. It, it always I say to you, whoever shall not even receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain man, a ruler, asked him, saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. So he kind of set him back. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. The Ten Commandments, so isn't it? Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all, I've, all these I've kept from my youth up. And then Jesus heard these things. When Jesus had heard these things, he said unto him, yet thou lackest one thing. We talk a lot about, around here about lacking one thing. That you can be the best ordinary there is and just one thing keeps you out of being extraordinary. Well, I'm doing good, 99 out of 100 is better than anybody around. Yep, it sure is, you're, you're a good boy. You are a good boy, we, we put the green, we put the blue ribbon on you and say, best ordinary we've ever seen. At a boy. But he said, that's really not the mark that we're chasing around here, that's everywhere. Yet lackest thou one thing? Then he told this man what it was: sell so what you have, distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Now this has really been misconstrued to say that God doesn't like you to, uh, he doesn't like rich people, and that he's not—he can't use them. And he wanted this guy that had money. He was unholy. He was unworthy. And for he—you know—if he, you know, he would—if he'd get down to nothing, then he'd be holy. That's not what he's saying at all. He said, this man had a problem. Money was everything to him. And the only way you can tell if someone has given up their money is if they give it, if they give it away. What happens when you give and give and give? What happens? It comes back. So he wasn't telling him to be stripped off because you can't give it away. He said, give to the poor. Well, the word says that if you lend, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he repayeth. So. It's coming back. You you give a million dollars to the poor, you might not get three million back. There's there's no exponential in that, but you'll get your million back. So he wasn't. If he said, go bury it now, go, go bury this, go find you a well and just throw it all down there. That'd be another thing. But he said, go give to the poor. So that was this man's problem. He was full. He was dependent upon. He was he was making money. His Lord. And the Jesus, Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. How cool is it to be just one thing away? The only thing is, is once you get one thing thou lackest fixed, there's probably something else that's one thing thou lackest. But he only works on his one thing at a time. Do you all notice that? He doesn't overwhelm and say, you dirty dog. You are sorry, no good. I can't use you. Look, you got this, you got that, you got this and you're just a mess here and you've got that over there and we'd we'd be overwhelmed. So the Lord always comes and said, let's work on one thing. Do y'all notice that? When I preach here, people, when they do, not often, but when they do, they'll tell me the one thing that they lackest that this ministers to. It's like I'm talking about a hundred things here and they say, boy, you nailed me with that message on forgiveness or whatever. Forgiveness, forgiveness. So I'll go look at my notes. Forgiveness. We didn't talk about forgiveness. One thing thou lackest. The Lord finds you wherever you are. And he said, let's fix this. No no matter how he fixes it, somehow he fixes it. That's why you ought to come to church. It's like, I don't don't need what he's preaching about this morning, but we all need what the Holy Ghost wants to say this morning. And it's not even necessarily that. So... um, He said, uh, you lack one thing. So let's all say that by faith. Let's just say it of ourselves. I lack one thing. Now, that'd be true. Let's say it again. I lack one thing. Because you may be at the top of ordinary, but if you don't step into extraordinary, you lack one thing. And if you want to be the top of the ordinary, just... Sit down and close your little baby blues and ride and and you'll get there with us and you'll be you'll be an atta boy, an atta girl, and yay. But if you want to be extraordinary, you gotta sit up in your seat and say, Lord, I'm listening for the one thing. Because there's something hindering me. There's something. This thing is not working where I have all sufficiency in all things and I'm abounding to every good work. This isn't working that, I, that you give me exceeding abundantly above what I can ask or imagine. This isn't working that you can't became poor that I through your poverty might be made rich. It isn't working. I must be lacking one thing. I must be sitting on this side of a wall where everything's on that side, but there's no door. And you're saying I can go through the door. Good enough's good enough. Well, yeah, it is. It's good enough in the standard of the world. You can be at the top of their standard and be good enough. But if you want to be in the kingdom, one thing thou lackest. So we're always working on something, aren't we? But that's okay. We're in the yoke. And while we're in the yoke and he's discipling us, he said, learn of me. I am meek and lowly. Learn of me. So we're always going to be learning of him. You hadn't got there. I sure hadn't. I'm not qualified to stand up here and preach to you the, the word of God in the right way, except that we all one thing lackest. And you're qualified to go out and tell somebody that doesn't know as much as you do. Go help somebody. Go help somebody. You go, well, I don't know it all. That's right. But you know more than what somebody knows and your testimony is going to help them. Uh, he looked at the clock. That means it's getting close. 1 Thessalonians 3, don't go there, but it says, Night and day, praying exceeding, that we might see your face. This is what Paul's telling the Thessalonians. He said, Night and day, praying exceedingly, that we might see your face. Why? And and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That's why we're here this morning. That's why you get into this. This is why we spend time alone with God and say, Lord, I'm here to find out what's going on because there's some imperfection in my faith. I talk to the mountain and it spit back at me. (laughs) You know, there's a problem somewhere when the mountain spits back at you and just says, well, we ain't doing nothing. Who are you? Nobody. And uh And then it goes on to say, now, God himself and our father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. So here's the key. There's somebody that's got the answer to your life and they don't even know it. And you don't even know it. But when we transact with people, the Lord conveys it or transacts it. In other words, you'll be with somebody. And suddenly, if you're listening, if you're listening. I only listen to the apostle and the prophet and. And those people, I don't listen to regular people that are just like me. Well, you're missing, you're missing it because that's the way it's going to come. Remember what we said a while ago? You got to want what God wants the way he sends it. And I can hardly tell you how sitting down with my friends eating a taco or eating an enchilada or whatever we're doing, it is just a good old good to see you time and we're just yucking it up and everything and suddenly in passing seemingly, in just passing, they will say something that directly intersects my life. The answer I've been looking for, didn't even know I was looking for it. And suddenly I hear it, and I know it, and everything's changed. Not forever. It fixed that day that way, but there's another thing that'll come the next day. We say, I say, you could say, that you need somebody in your life. Every one of you need someone in your life that God could send to you to fix you. That you wouldn't throw them out. And for most people, it's not their parents. That's rare. Well, darling, I'm just calling to let you know the Lord told me that you gotta, you gotta, you're a mess and you've got to fix this. Probably not. But you've got to have somebody. You've got to have a man in your life. You've got to have a woman in your life that... That he could send and they would say, thus saith the Lord, I'm here, to, I'm here to help. And you go, praise God. But most people don't go, praise God. Who are you here judging me? And so they're not teachable. And so they don't get fixed. And so every day they get up and there's one thing lacking in their life. And they can't get across. They're, they're good ordinary whoo, look at that good, good ordinary. They're an uncommon, or- they're an uncommon common. But they're still common. This is real good preaching, y'all. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just having me a good time. So we, we, we're looking for people that naturally know how to fix things instead of looking for the supernatural from people that don't have a clue. They have no counseling degree. They have no, no experience, this, that, and the other but they know how to speak for God. And if you're listening, if you're drawing, if you're pulling, which is what you should be doing this morning, not saying you're not, but I'm just saying this is what we do. We spend one hour on Sunday pulling from the library of heaven because the Lord is saying, I'm trying to fix the one thing thou lackest. And we're going, what? He said, yeah, that's what you're here for. You're not here for the social hour. You're not here for the... You're here to fix the one thing thou lackest. Oh. Well, if that's what we're here for, let's get down to business. Let's pay attention. Let's get our notebook out. Always take notes. If you don't take notes, no, con- I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm not looking to who's taking notes. I'm not looking. But if you don't take notes, wouldn't you say that perhaps there's a Slight chance that you're not expecting to hear anything that's worth taking into the next day. Because I can tell you, I don't remember stuff the next day that I don't write down. That was a little rough. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to bring that, but hallelujah. Well, we're going to we're going to skip all the rest of that. and We're going to just go. I'm going to just tell you what it says in Galatians 5, 7. It says, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And that's what we're that's what we're saying this morning. There's something in front of all of us. Certainly this boy. Certainly there's something in my life that hinders me. Because I should be further along. I should be I should be further along. Would you say of that yourselves? Would you assess yourself based on what Jesus said? What the word says? That you'd say, based on that and how long I've been, that I should be further along. I could be further along. That's, maybe that's what we would say. Is wherever I am, no condemnation, but I could be further along. If we believe that you can go as fast as you want in the kingdom, then you'd have to say, I must not have wanted to go very fast. Good enough was... Good enough. What if, what if, what if, what if the whole millennium, a thousand years, if you lived to be a hundred, you would live a a tenth of the millennial reign. And we're all going to be in the millennial reign. And what you're going to be doing in the millennial reign is based on what you did in the premillennial reign right now. If you sat like a box of rocks by the doorstep and that's all you ever were was a box of rocks, then probably you're not going to rule and reign in the millennium. Some people don't care. I have this thing that says if heaven's worth going to, it must be the rewards there are even more worth going to. So we should giddy up. Whatever you did yesterday and the days before, it matters none. We all get a do-over every day. His mercy is made new every morning. So today's the day. Today's the day you just say, let's, let's, let's get where we're supposed to go. Let's find out the one thing I lackest. Whatever that is. Sometimes it's forgiving somebody. I've been burned this last few years. I've been burned by people that weren't supposed to burn me. Of course, the others can't burn you because you don't care. So it's just the people that you care about that can burn you. It's like, uh, what about that? I got to get over every one of them. (laughs) It's none of y'all. Y'all are perfect. Really, you are. So that's what I do, is I work on that. I work on me. I don't work on you. I work on me. So we're going to identify this morning with who we are. You can sow without being a sower, and you can forgive without being a forgiver, and you can identify with the world while you're a Christian. And I want to stop it. I want to identify with who I am. Who am I? Not what I do, not what I did, but who I am. That's all that's required. Is for us to identify, not based on what we've done, what we, but who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am redeemed by his blood and I am healed. I am not. Now, be careful here. Be mindful. We're not getting healed this morning. We're the healed. That's who we are. And whatever you are is what you have. Whoever you are is what you have. So if you're saying, well, I'm going to get healed, then you're not healed. You're trying to acquire or to. But if I'm the healed. This is good. So would you stand up with me this morning? Would you walk through here, walk through here and, and uh, let's just do this way, Lynn, come up here, break you off. A